Thank you so, so much. Well, today I'm going to jump right into the Word. We have a couple of announcements that we'll be making at the end of service, but right now I want to go right to the Word of God. We are in week number three of a series called Truth in a World of Gray. Everybody say truth. Truth Truth in a World of Gray. And in this series, we have been trying to get a grasp on absolute truth. Truth that does not change. What can we cling to? Because as you know, we live in a world today where it seems like truth is relative. It changes. It seems to change with people or or places or times or culture. You know that. And things that used to be true 50 years ago seems to no longer be true today. People have written that off. Say, well, those were the old days. We don't do that anymore. And so we want to make sure that we know what is absolute truth. After all, our eternity hangs in the balance of knowing what is absolute truth. And our really our key uh, focal point throughout this series, and if you haven't written this down yet, I encourage you to write it down today. Our focus has been this. We're going to put it on the screen. That God is the source and the standard for truth. God is the source and the standard for truth. Now, pretty much anyone can make that claim. Well, anyone can say that God is the source and standard for truth. But how do we know that's true? How do we, you may be here today and say, well, pastor, how do you know that? How do you know that God's the source of truth? How, how do you know that the Bible can be trusted? You know, if you are any sort of a thinker at all, at some stage in your life, you have asked the question, can the Bible be trusted? I've asked that. Not out loud, but just to myself. Man, how do I know I can trust the Bible? And that's a good Question to ask. You need to be asking yourself that. If you're a believer here today, or if you grew up in a home to where uh, it was common to go to church, and it was common to have the Bible sitting out and and, and even reading it, then this is really um, the default answer for you is, yes, the Bible can be trusted. I mean, that just comes natural. Of course it can be trusted. But your answer better be more than just, it can be trusted because mom and dad said it can be trusted. You better know why you can be trusted. And most Christians have never taken the time to try to figure out why the Bible can be trusted. If you're not a believer this morning, or maybe you grew up in a home where um, your parents didn't go to church, they never uh, claimed to be Christians, uh, didn't really know anything about God, the Bible was never even in your, your framework of reference. I mean, for you, the Bible is just another book. You don't even think about it as the source of truth. It's just another book. It's just like an encyclopedia. It's like another piece of literature. It's just a book. But my prayer is today that as we talk about the subject we're going to talk about this morning, my prayer is that you would begin to see the Bible for what it truly is. A life-giving, life-changing message of hope for a broken world. That you would begin to see that the Bible is truly the source of, of truth. And my prayer is, and I just, I just, I have felt this all week as I was praying for this. I believe that, that there are people, and I'm not, I'm not here to say that, that you're not a Christian, but I'm here to say that there are people in this room who are a little bit skeptical of the soundness or the validity of the Word of God. You're just, yeah, maybe you believe in Jesus, but you're not really sure if, if all of this in here is true, you're just, you're just not 100% convinced that the Bible can truly be 
trusted. So what I want to do this morning is I, I want to speak to you and answer the question, can the Bible be trusted? Because we need to know that. We need to know that. We, we need to know that what this Bible says, if we are, if we are putting our eternal security in the, in the hands of this Bible and relying on this to get us to heaven, we better know that it's true. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. So if you take notes, write that down. Seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. For those of you that are note takers, this should, this should um, uh, recall a memory to you that, Pastor Scott, you just, you just taught us this about a year ago. And first of all, I want to applaud you for your memory being good. But you're right, I did. As a matter of fact, these seven points that I'm going to share with you, I, I shared these exact same points with you a year ago in August, when I believe it was August, when we were doing the, the series, It Is Written. I don't know if you remember that or not. Um, however, and I even contemplated, do I need to do this again? First of all, I believe I do because it's been a year. We've probably forgotten what happened yesterday. Uh, but secondly, if I'm doing a teaching on truth especially when I'm using the Bible to uh, support some of the things that I'm telling you is true, it is imperative that I give you valid and solid information to, to verify why this book is true and why it can be trusted. Does that, does that make sense? In other words, I can't just say, well, the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true. <laughs> that, that's not enough supportive evidence. You understand that, right? And um, so a lot of the things that I share, matter of fact, the majority of them, and I told you this last time I shared this, I have to credit um, Josh McDowell, Pastor Rick Warren, Pastor Chris Hodges. Several of these teachers, they are what are called um, apologists, which means that um, they are defenders of the faith, if you will. They do a lot of research to give supportive evidence as to why we believe certain things. And um, they do outside research and and uh, go outside the Bible to show why the Bible is true, and not just say, well, according to verse so-and-so, it says the Bible is true. Well, a skeptic is not going to believe that. You can't use the Bible to validate the Bible and get skeptics to believe that. There has to be other logical, explainable, physical evidence that further proves that the Bible is true. So I want to share with you this morning seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. And if you're into that whole apologetics type thing, you can go to a great uh, site. is uh, Josh McDowell. I believe his website is josh.org or josh.com. And, and get a lot more. If this stuff interests you, you can get a lot more information at that. I'm going to stick to some of the bases this morning just so we can get it all in this service. So, seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. Number one, because it is historically accurate. It's historically accurate. Did you know there are a lot of people who think that the Bible is really nothing more than just good principles to show us what is right? They think that these stories are really just stories and, and metaphors and, and good principles that they really didn't actually happen. But we know that the stories and events that are in the Bible are not just stories and events that, that are just made up. These things actually happened. They actually happen in history. And you may say, well, by, well, Pastor, how do you know that the Bible is, is historically accurate? How do you know that these things happen? And my answer would be the same way that you know any other form of history is accurate. 
Historians will tell you that there are three tests that have to be passed in order for something to be considered uh, historically accurate. And the first one of those tests is that there has to be eyewitnesses that have watched this happen. Eyewitness accounts. People had to have seen it happen. In other words, you can't just write down something that someone else saw and told you about. Someone had to see it. And we know that there were people who were there who saw things happen. Not just stories, people were actually there. When you read the Gospels, and for those of you that, who don't know what the Gospels are, it's the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four men were there. And they wrote about what they actually saw. They weren't just hearing what someone else said and wrote it out. They were there. Moses was there when God parted the Red Sea and he wrote about it. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell and he wrote about it. The disciples, along with 500 other people, saw the resurrected body of Jesus. People saw this. And it's been passed down through history and history. The same way that you read about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and, and some of these other people, it's been passed down throughout generation after generation. We know those to be true because people saw it and recorded it. So there has to be eyewitnesses. The Bible passes that test. Another test that's used to test the accuracy of history is that it's recorded and more importantly copied with extreme care. As it's, as it's passed down, as the original writings are passed down from generation to generation, you have to make sure that it's recorded and copied with extreme care. One of the reasons that I believe that God chose the, the Jewish, or the, the, the Hebrew nation, the, the Jews, is because they were, they were very meticulous in how they would record things, especially what are, what are called the scribes. The scribes were the people who would write the manuscripts and write out the scrolls. And they were very um, detailed people. As a matter of fact, when you research this out, you find that when they would take the original writings of the prophets and the original law, the, the Mosaic law that was given to him by God, when they would record this and, and move it from, from one manuscript to another piece to where they could keep passing it down, they didn't just copy word for word, one word at a time, but they copied one letter at a time. T-T-H-H. And I know that... They used Hebrew and, and Aramaic and, and various things, but I'm just giving you a point of reference here. They copied one letter at a time. And after they would get one page done, they would look at the middle letter and they would count, make sure that all the letters were there and verify that everything was transposed correctly. And if one thing was wrong, they would throw the whole thing out and start over. It was recorded and copied with, it, with extreme care. One thing that we have to verify this is about... Um, 60 years ago, back in the 1940s, 1950s, somewhere in there, uh, what are called the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And the Dead Sea Scrolls were, were scrolls, they were writings that had been uh, recorded thousands of years ago. And as they uncovered and discovered these Dead Sea Scrolls, they found that what is being translated in our Bibles today matches perfectly with what was originally recorded. Historically, Accurate. A third test that has to be passed in order for something to be considered historically accurate is that it has to be archaeological, archaeologically confirmed. There has to be archaeological confirmation. In other words, the, the, the places that you read about in the Bible, those have to be real places. Someone needs to find those places and say, oh yeah, this does exist. And it's amazing. People are still excavating today and they're still finding 
things that are talked about in the Bible. They have found a, the, the city of, of Abraham, or the, or the place of Ur. They have found that, that part of the, that the Hittite empire existed. They have found the Philistine and Canaanite temples. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're, they're, these things are being verified. So we know that the Bible is historically accurate the same way that we would know any other form of history is accurate. It passes the test. And that right there, that reason it's historically accurate is, is enough. It could stand alone to prove to you the validity and the soundness of the Bible. But there's more. Everybody say there's more. Second reason why the Bible can be trusted is because it's scientifically accurate. It's scientifically accurate. The laws of the universe were invented by God. Did you know that? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but anatomy and how our body works, all of that was invented by God. Biology, physics, all of that originated from God. Science didn't invent any of that. They may discover it, but God's the originator. The Bible says this in Psalms 148, 5 and 6, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for He issued His command, and they, who's they? Every created thing came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. God established everything, including things that we're just now discovering. We think, oh, there's something new. No, no, no. It's, it may be new to us, but it's not new to God. God created it all. How many of you realize, especially some of you that are at least my age and older, how many realize that science evolves? I mean, it changes. Take, for example, computer science. Anybody have computer science when you were in, in school? A few of you? Yeah. It's, it's not the same anymore. It's evolving. They're technologically advancing and things that they used to use. I mean, they're absolute and are obsolete and they, they no longer apply. I mean, it continues to evolve. Yet the Bible doesn't evolve. It's constant. It stays the same. Now, the Bible is not a science book in the fact that it doesn't use a lot of scientific words, but it is scientifically accurate. In other words, things that we're discovering now and things that we're learning about science, they've been there all along in the Bible, which to me further validates that the Bible is the source for truth. It's scientifically accurate. And, and speaking of, of, of science, one of the things that I think is, is amazing is not what the Bible has to say about science, but more about what the Bible doesn't say about science further proves the validity of the Bible. Here's what I mean by that. When they wrote the Bible, when men wrote the Bible thousands of years ago, when they would write this out, there was a science that was practiced during the days that they were writing the Bible. They believed certain things. And you would think that if men actually wrote the Bible, if it was inspired by men, that some of their scientific beliefs during those days would have made it into Scripture. But instead, we, um, we find the opposite. We find things that they didn't believe that made it into the Bible that now we have recently discovered that further proves and validates the Bible. For example, in the days that the Bible was written, a common belief was this, that the earth was flat. That's what they thought. Matter of fact, it wasn't until around the, the 15th century that we begin to discover that the earth was not flat. So for thousands of years, including when the Bible was written, they believed that the earth was flat. So you would think if men 
were, insp- were, were inspired by themselves to write this, somehow it would have made it into the Bible that the earth was flat. But we find the opposite. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. This is written 2,600 years ago. The Bible says that God sits above the what? The circle. It's also translated a sphere or globe of the earth. Listen, here, here's my point. Thousands of years ago, when, when, when the science back then believed that the earth was flat, it was recorded in the Bible that the earth was round. Isn't that awesome? You guys are hard to impress. Either that or you just really don't get it. Here, here's another common belief in the days that, the, that the, the Bible was written. They believed that the earth was held up by something. The Greeks believed that uh, it, was the, it was the Greek god Atlas that would hold up the globe. Uh, the Hindus believed that it was held up by elephants, which is really weird. But... And then the Egyptians believed that the earth was held up by five pillars. But if they would just have looked at the oldest book in the Bible, which is the book of Job, chapter 26, verse 7, they would have found the answers. It says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Isn't that awesome? In the day and age when when science, back then when the Bible was written, they believed that the earth was held up by, by certain things. The Bible says something opposite. How, how, did, how did Job know that? Perhaps God told him. Perhaps he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that. Here's another common belief in the days of the writing of the Bible. The number of stars could be counted. They believe you could count the stars. In 150 B.C., Hipparchus counted the stars and said there were 1,022 of them. And then 300 years later, a, an, an astronomer by the name of Ptolemy counted 1,026. In other words, he said, Hipparchus, you missed four of them. There, there are actually 1,026. But if they would have only looked at scriptures that were written 2,600 years ago, they would have seen that Jeremiah 33:22 says, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. Did you know that even scientists today are, are still discovering stars, planets, solar systems? I mean, it's, it's amazing. Those things aren't new. God created them. We may discover them, but they're not new. God created them. I mentioned computer science a while ago is always evolving. Medical science is always evolving. We, we know that to be true. Uh, a good illustration, I, I love this, and I shared this with you last year, but uh, back in the days when the Bible was written, one of the practices in medical science was something called bloodletting. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But uh, they believed, along with bile and phlegm um, uh, and, and blood, they believed that those three things were what was causing sickness in people. And they believed that if someone got sick, well, something was wrong with the blood, or they had too much blood, so they needed to let some blood out. So they cut them and let them bleed out. Now, not like bleed out completely to death, but let some of the blood out. As a matter of fact, you can go and look this up. Our first president, George Washington, it's recorded and stated that he died of bloodletting. He got sick, and I believe it was the third time that they said, we've got to let some blood out of him. He died. Now, we no longer believe that. We, we know today that, 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 that blood brings life. We have transfusions, blood transfusions, because we believe we've got to give somebody some blood because life is in that blood. And it's amazing that we've just now discovered that. But if you read the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 11, it says that the life of the body 
is in his blood. How did Moses know that? God told him. The Bible is always ahead of science. Why? Because man didn't write it. God did. The Bible is the source of truth. Third reason why the Bible can be trusted is because it's prophetically accurate. I thought it was awesome that they were singing that song a while ago. All His promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. It's prophetically accurate, meaning that the promises and the prophecies in the Bible always, everybody say always, they always come true. Now if man wrote the Bible and man inspired the writing of the Bible, that would have been a great risk because if just one of the things that the Bible talks about were to not have happened, if one of them would have not been true, then it would have compromised all the rest of the Bible. You can't trust it. If one thing's wrong, you can't trust any of it. But yet there are over a thousand prophecies in the Bible and and a little over 300 that pertain to Jesus alone. That talk about this this Messiah who's going to come. And the last prophecy about Jesus was 400 years before He was even born. 400 years before Jesus shows up, there, there, there are prophecies about Him. And they're not vague prophecies. They're not like... Yeah, this, this guy's going to be born. It's going to be cool. It's, I mean, these are specific, like where he's going to be born, um, uh, where, where he's going to grow up, how he's going to be betrayed, how he's going to die. Did you know, this is interesting, David prophesied the crucifixion of Jesus before crucifixion was even a form of execution. <laughs> wow. How can that be? How, how, did, how did men know that? Well, perhaps it's because men didn't write it, even though they penned it, they were behind it. God wrote it. Look at this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, 21. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy, remember we're speaking about it's prophetically accurate, that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from any human initiative. In other words, they, they weren't deriving some sort of plan and, and, and hoping that they would get it right. Their, their hands and pen may have wrote it down, but it was the Holy Spirit that was inspiring them. It was all God breathed. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now, I know some of you are out there, well, Scott, what about there? There are still some prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet. You're, you're right. But remember what we just sang a while ago? All of his promises are yes and amen. They're all going to happen, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of the prophecy when it happens. When you look at the very last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, 6, the writer John said, The angel said to me, Everything that you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires His prophets has sent His angel to tell His servants what will happen soon. You can mark it down. If it's in this book, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The fourth reason why the Bible can be trusted is because it's thematically unified. In other words, it has a common theme. Now, now this is one that it, it, on the surface it doesn't look like that it carries much weight. But when you begin to consider that the Bible was written by 40 different writers from three different continents in three different languages 
over a span of 1,600 years, and they all wrote about the same theme or the same person without any contradiction. It would, here, here's an example. It would be like if you took 15 people from the United States of America, 10 people from France, and 5 people from Africa, and you let them be isolated and begin to write out something, whatever that it is, and then you bring all that together over the course of 1,600 years, by the way, living in different eras of history, and then you bring their writings together, and all of them have the same theme. That would be a miracle, wouldn't it? Yet none of these writers contradict one another. How can this be? Unless, of course, God wrote it. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, speaking of Jesus, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. Can I just tell you this? Even though you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and even though the dividing factor is the birth of Jesus, all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything, the, the, and, the, and the theme, the, per, the common theme is, is not just Jesus Himself, but also God's plan of redemption for mankind. That's the common theme all throughout the Bible. John 5, 39, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to Me. In other words, it's all about Jesus. The Bible is thematically unified. That one right there can stand all by itself to surely to persuade any skeptic that 40 different people from three different continents in three different languages over the span of 1,600 years all wrote different things, but yet they all share the same common theme. It's thematically unified. Number five, fifth reason why the Bible can be trusted is because it's trusted by Jesus. This one's a good one because a lot of times people... I don't know if you have one of those, we call them red letter edition Bibles. You know what that is? Any, any place in the Bible that's written in red, that's the words of Jesus. And if you have a red letter edition Bible, then it's easy to see, okay, well, this is what Jesus said. And a lot of people, they don't have a problem, per se, believing the words in red. Because that's what, that, well, that's what Jesus said. But yet, Jesus trusted all of the Bible. So if you're going to trust in Jesus, you have to trust in what Jesus trusted in. And Jesus trusted all of it. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear, disappear until its purpose is achieved. Everything at the time of Jesus. Now I know the New Testament had not been written yet because the New Testament is, is about what Jesus did and about the, 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 the mission and the ministry that He performed and about the things that He told people to, to go about and evangelize. But when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, the, the Mosaic Law, the, the first five books, the, 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 the writings of the prophets, all of that was already in place. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to tell you that none of this is going to pass away. That not one thing is going to change until it's all fulfilled. Jesus trusted the Bible. And you can't trust Jesus without trusting in what Jesus trusted in. Jesus trusted in the Bible. It's, it's all God-breathed. The Bible says it's all. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful. I love this quote by Pastor Chris Hodges. I, I think I have a slide. For, yeah. 
He says, if you believe what you like in the Bible, but don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust, but yourself. In other words, if the things that you like, oh yeah, I believe that, but something you read that you don't like and you don't believe that, it's not the Bible that you're trusting, it's yourself. That's relative truth. You believe it as long as it feels good. You believe it as long as it lines up with your perspective of truth. But I'm here to tell you, your mind is not the final authority. Your, your, your perspective is not the final authority. God's Word is the final authority. Once again, God is the source and the standard for truth. We have to trust the Bible. It's the only source of truth. Even when there are things that I don't understand, I have to realize this is true. It can be trusted. Jesus trusted. Here's the sixth reason why the Bible can be trusted, and it's because it has survived all attacks. It's survived all attacks. And the first thing you have to ask yourself when you see this statement right here is ask yourself, why has it been attacked? Why is it being attacked? And I can tell you why it's under attack. It's because the enemy wants to keep you as far away from it as he possibly can. Because he knows there's truth. And what did we learn last week about the truth? The truth will do what? It'll set you free. So the enemy wants to, wants to attack the Word of God. And he, it, there's all sorts of views. I mean, there, there's things, and I, I try not to get involved in politics, it, and I'm not against those things, but I know you can waste a lot of time following politics and getting, getting all this stuff. But did you know, whether you do or not, I'm just here to tell you, the Bible and Christianity is under attack in our nation. Why is it under attack? Because I tell, people believe that truth is relative. That it's no, it's, it's, it's no longer relative to what, we're, to what we're going through today. This is an, this is an outdated book. I mean, it's, it's thousand years old. I mean, wait, you can't trust that. That was way back then. They didn't even have cars back then. They didn't have internet back then. I mean, times have changed. It's under attack. In fact, the Bible has been the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book in the history of time. It's been under attack for century after century, yet it's still changing lives today. No one has been able to stop it, and no one will ever be able to stop the Word of God. Here's why. Because the Bible says, 1 Peter 1, 24, 25, that the grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. No government can stop it. No law can stop it. No, no person can stop it. Nothing can stop it. Yeah, it's under attack. But ask yourself, if you're a skeptic this morning, ask yourself, why is it being so attacked? Because it's truth. It's a source of truth. And one day all of us are going to give an account to it, regardless of how outdated that you think that it is. We're all going to stand before God one day and give an account for what this book said. And did our lives line up to that? I'm telling you, it's hard. I gave you the illustration last week for when I had to start drinking water for, for, for my, for my uh, health. I mean, it was hard. I hated drinking water, especially with food because it was so bland. It just ruined the taste of food. But I had to get some daily habits and I had to force myself to do it. I didn't like it at first, but now I have developed a craving for it. I love water now. 
Same way with the Word of God when we read things that we don't agree with. If it's in this book, we better start doing things, daily disciplines to get ourselves to conform to the Word of God. Not try to manipulate and twist this book to form what we believe is good, what we believe is uh, you know, our perspective and truth and that it feels good. If it feels right, it must be right. Oh, I'm just going to trust my heart. No, no, no. Your heart is deceptive. It'll lie to you. You've got to trust the Word of God. It's surviving all attacks. It still stands today. It's still changing lives today, which brings me to the last point. The Bible can be trusted because it has transforming power. I'm here to tell you, this, this is what separates this from just another book, even though it's a collection of books, 66 books in total. This is what separates this book from just any other book. This, this book has transforming power. How do I know that? Because it's changed my life. It's transformed me. In the book of Hebrews, we find that the Word of God is quick. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This book will change your life if you give it a chance. This is why it's under such attack. This is why the enemy will put... So many things in your mind to keep you busy so you won't read this book. Because he knows if you get a hold of this book and you get this book in you, it'll change your life. I've seen countless, countless people changed by the power of the Word of God. I'm here to tell you, and this, when I preach the Word of God, and I may not pray this out loud, but one of my prayers is, God, let nothing come out of my mouth that's, that's my own opinion. Let it, let it be your word that's inside of me. Because I know my words can't change people. No matter how well polished I may get up here, no matter how put together my notes are, my, my words can't change people. But the word of God can change your life. And my prayer is that, that how that I would present this and the things that I would say being from God, that they would get into your heart. And whether I mess it up or not, that the Holy Spirit's working on your life and He's piercing your heart to conviction. You begin to change the things that you're doing. Jesus said this in John 8, 31, 32. You should know this because we just read this last week. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, if you abide, that, that, that word abide means if you dwell here, if you hang out here, if you camp out, if you will stay in the Word of God. If you'll abide in my Word, you're my disciples. That, that's how God knows that. That's who I know who belongs to me. I, I know that these are my people. These are my disciples. They're the one that's getting it done because they're abiding in my Word. He says, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I, I'm here to tell you, I know it sounds elementary. I know it sounds cliche. I know it sounds just like pastoral verbiage. But you have got to get in the Word of God. You've got to read it. It'll change your life. It'll save your finances. It'll restore your joy. It'll heal your marriage. It will change you. But it cannot change you if all it does is, is sit on your coffee table or sit on your nightstand or, or sit on your dashboard. Oh, people may think that you're a holy roller. They may think that you're a Christian, but it's not changing your life. Standing on the Word of God does not mean this right here. I know I just offended a lot of you. Oh, you better get off that. That's not, that's not what the Bible means about standing on the Word of God. 
Standing on the word of God is getting in here and seeing what it says and standing on I will not waver from this because I know this is the source of truth. I may not like what it says. It, it, may, it may shake me up. It may shake my belief system up. But this is the word of God. It will change your life. But you have to make it the final authority in your life and live by it, guys. Man, I hope you hear my heart this morning. You, you, if you're not making it a practice of at least trying to live by this, you're always going to stay in bondage. You're never going to reach your potential. You're never going to experience God's best. Every area of your life will be less than God's best. So you have to, you have, to have daily bliss, disciplines. You've got to get into the Word of God. This has to become your final authority. And what I mean by that is whatever this says, that's what I'm going to live by. I, I do my best. I'm not perfect. None of us in this room are perfect. If we were perfect, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and do what He did. None of us are perfect. <coughs> Excuse me. But I make it a habit to try my best to live by the Word of God. To live by the Word of God. Because I know it's His Word that transforms me. It's His Word that makes me a better husband. It's His Word that makes me a better father. It's His Word that makes me a better pastor. That makes me a better man. That makes me a better friend. That makes me an encourager. It's His Word. Laws can't change your heart. It doesn't matter what type of laws that are passed in this world. They'll never change the human race. They'll never change our, our, our nature and our default of being evil people. No matter how many laws you pass. But God's Word can change your heart. In a world of gray that we live in, in a world of uncertainty, <coughs> excuse me, in a world where everything seems to be evolving and changing, there is one constant, and that is God. He's the source and standard for truth. And He has revealed His truth to us we learn this in week number one in three ways. Number one, through His Son Jesus. When you read the Word of God and you see Jesus, you see how He lived, you see the things that He taught, you see truth. Jesus told Pilate, who asked the question, what is truth? Jesus said, I've come to testify to the truth. I am, John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You cannot get to the Father except you go through Me. Second way He reveals His truth is through the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the more time that you spend with God, the more time you spend in His Word, the more the Spirit has control of your life. It's like, I believe it's in the, the book of John where He says, I must, decrease, I must decrease so that He can increase. Yes, He lives in you, but you've got to have daily disciplines so that the Spirit of God can fill your life. And He's the Spirit of truth who will lead you and guide you into all truth. And that truth will guard you. That truth will keep you. That truth will keep you from making foolish decisions. And then the third way that God reveals His truth to us, what we talked about today, is through His Word. You want to know what truth is in a world of gray? It's this book right here. If you're a believer this morning, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, this message today for you has simply been an affirmation that what you believe is true. And we need that from time to time. We need to be reminded, why do I trust the Bible? 
And I just gave you, I'm sure there are more reasons, but I just gave you seven reasons outside of the Bible why the Bible can be trusted. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a once upon a time story. It's a historical document. It's scientifically accurate. It's prophetically accurate. It's thematically unified. It was trusted by Jesus. It stood the test of time. It beats off attacks left and right. And it's transforming power. For those of you this morning who are not a believer, and I'm convinced that maybe there are even some in this room today who aren't believers, and you've been, you've been skeptical of the Bible regarding its validity. How do I know that can be trusted? Maybe you're, maybe you're on, the, on the fence this morning. Maybe, maybe you're on the verge. You, you want to be able to trust Jesus. You want to be able to give your life to Him. But you you're just, just don't know if I... How do I know this is right? My prayer is today that as I have spoke to you and given you these seven reasons that, that a light is being shined into your life. And that maybe for the first time ever, the Holy Spirit is beginning to show you you can trust this book. You can trust this book. And more than just Him telling you that, my prayer is now that you would take that next step and begin to investigate it for yourself. Don't just take mom's word for it. Don't just take my word for it. But you begin to open it up and say, God, if this is real, I want you to reveal it to me. I want you to show me things. I want you to change my life. And I promise you, I promise you, because I'm here to attest that this is true, that the Word of God, if you give it a chance, it will change your life. And when I say give it a chance, I know I'm spending a lot of time here, but I want to make sure that you get this. When I say give it a chance, I'm not just talking about reading something and then just going about and living however that you want. Well, I gave the Word a chance one time. You know, I read three chapters one day and it didn't affect my life at all. I'm talking about when you read it and you see what you just read, you have to know, okay, that is true. And then you've got to examine your life. And if your life looks differently than what you just read, you've got to... Now begin to pray, God, help me. I, I, I struggle with forgiveness. Help me, Lord. God, I, I'm struggling in the area of fear. Help me, Lord. Because here's what your word says, but here's what I've been believing. Help me, Lord. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, if you'll give the word of God a chance, it will change your life. The Bible can be and should be trusted as the source for all truth. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. We'll ask our, our pastoral elder team just, just to come and position yourself at the front for just a moment. And, and I just want to take a few moments. I want to first pray over you, but then I want to give you a chance. If there's anyone in this room, you need prayer for anything. I, I want to make this a common practice that, that you have people who will believe with you. You have people who will agree in prayer with you. And I want you to be able to take advantage of that and not just leave with, with whatever it is that you're struggling with and hopes things get better, but at least you can come and get some prayer and, and, and maybe confess with one of them, like, hey, here's what I'm dealing with. I need, I need prayer on this. So let me pray for you this morning and then I'm going to ask for people to take steps today. Father, I thank You so much, Lord, for the Word of God. I'm thankful that the Word is the source of truth. God, You're the source of truth and You reveal Your truth to us through Your Word. God, I'm thankful today that this Word can be trusted because we live in a world that is, that is shaken. God, we live in a world that's, that's where fake news and misinformation is, is beckoning, at our, uh, beckoning us and calling us all the time to get our attention. Uh, to be steered away from what is truth. But God, Your Word is solid. Your Word is valid. Your Word is the truth and it's the final authority. And I'm thankful, God, that in a world of gray, we have such truth. 
my prayer is this morning, God, if there's anyone that is in this room that maybe has been skeptical as to what to believe. If there's anyone that's in this room, God, who's maybe going through a season in their life, God, to where they just need to make a new commitment and rededicate. Father, I pray that you would begin to work on their heart right now and that you would draw them to you, that they would take a step this morning, God, to say, you know what? I'm going to implement some daily disciplines. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm going to recommit. I'm going to do this so, so that I can get the Word of God in me because I want my life to change. Father, I pray that you would move upon people's hearts right now in the name of Jesus.